Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on what time zone you're joining us from. This is Flint McLaughlin, and you are back with us on a Marketing Experiments web clinic. I do remember the first of these and the long timetable of research that occurred more than 10 years ago as we began experimenting in our laboratory. A lot of you probably don't know uh, the, the story of how Mech Labs came to be, and particularly the Marketing Experiments group within Mech Labs, and I won't go into it now. But there was many years where we simply conducted research without announcing our findings. And uh, you are now participating in what may be, I don't know, I'm guessing, but like 175 or the 180th release from uh, a recent round of experiments and testing. Testing is at the core of our culture. And I'm always fascinated when we have a clinic that is focused especially on the nature of testing. Today's clinic is entitled, Double the Value of Your Online Testing. That's a big statement. We try not to make such statements unless we actually believe we can deliver in the implied promise of the title. You'll know that if you've read anything about our optimization theory. It, uh, it hurts your credibility and your trust if you make claims in your titles that you can't deliver on. We do think that today you can learn something that could really help you to get substantially more value out of your testing. But I want to just tell you that despite the rapid growth of marketing experiments in MEC labs and the fact that these clinics are booked up in advance and typically we have more reservations than we have seats, uh, often we have twice as many people trying to get into a clinic as we have room for because we have to cut off the seats at 1,000. Whenever we do something focused on testing, the audience is just a bit thinner. Uh, we've talked about why. Uh, some of our researchers have told us they believe it's because people want to see the results, but they don't know or they're not ready to do the hard work to figure out what the results are on their own. I think it's really a simple fact. Many of us want to test, but we're not testing. I would imagine that if you're on this clinic, you either are intending to test or you're actively testing now. And I want to make a statement that doesn't appear in my slides, but is important, and that is simply this. Uh, I think 75% of the tests we are running currently on the Internet are not, uh, strictly speaking, valid. Uh, I think so often we're focused on, uh, on just a quick run. We get a portion of the bell curve and we jump to conclusions and go live with the page before we've achieved uh, validity with regards to the sample size. But honestly, even if we're getting validity there, I think we often fail to consider other validity threats like instrumentation effect and historical effect and others that could be talked about. Still, we're learning more by testing than we would be by not testing. Yet, I think that we're too focused on the particular insight related to, say, the core metric of our test. Let's suppose you're trying to test page A against page B, determine which headline is better. You run the test. You discover that page B's headline is better. You then go live with page B's headline, and you feel good about the result. That sounds good on the surface, but it's leaving critical findings, important information, and significant opportunity on mind. 
We want to teach you today how to get more out of your testing. This comes from having built the world's largest library of case studies and experiments in this field. And uh, you can follow along with us. And uh, on Twitter, you'll see the tag in front of me here now. And I'm joined today by Bob Kemper, who is our Director of Sciences, and uh, Nathan Thompson, who is a research analyst involved in projects here at Marketing Experiments and has been particularly involved in some of the case studies that we're going to be presenting. There is unusual findings in today's uh, clinic, and uh, this is a bit deeper for some of you that would like to go to a new level in your testing efforts. So stay tuned with us because as this unfolds and as we learn, we're actually going to be looking at pages submitted by the audience. Now, we've done that before. It's always highly popular. But we're going to do something today that I don't think we've ever done in a clinic with those pages. We're going to be asking for a testing strategy, helping you see what we would do in terms of designing a test to give the most learning in the future. So rather than just tell you what's wrong with the page and what you might want to fix, we're going to be doing live optimization, but with a unique focus. Live optimization that's designed to help you think about the testing strategy so that you can do more than get a gain. You can get a significant gain that you can transfer to many other aspects of your testing program. Let's begin. This is Test Protocol 1355. This was a company offering accounting and payroll management software. And these are solutions for many different types of businesses. And, of course, the goal was to increase the revenue generated by this page. And we forged a primary research question, which page, which product page will generate the most revenue? Our approach was single factorial with a variable cluster. If you don't know what single factorial is, it's uh, essentially uh, the category within which we would define A-B split testing which is almost slang for the proper science. However, even though it's single factorial, we're doing a variable cluster. If the last sentence didn't make a lot of sense to you yet, stay tuned because our scientists are going to be talking about variable clusters, and I think uh, perhaps setting you free to do something new and radical in your testing. Uh, a lot of us test with a bit of guilt because we're not isolating our variable components, our values and variables, down to the precise... Uh, kind of uh, detail that would help us to get a specific learning about one single element of our page. We test more because we're out of time and we've got to get a lift soon. We're going to talk about how to do that more effectively and how to do it on purpose and still do it within the guidelines of good science. So let's look at this experiment and uh, I'm joined by Nathan. And uh, Nathan's going to tell you a little bit of the background uh, on this experiment, and I'm just going to take us forward with the slides. Nathan, go ahead. Sure. Uh, taking a look at the page, the first thing we wanted to do was uh, apply our conversion index to the page to identify any problems we have. Um, taking a look at the page, you see that the layout, uh, there's quite a bit of friction in this layout. Um, we have three competing objectives off to the right-hand side. On the left-hand side, you'll notice we have uh, a learn more is actually the primary call to action on this page. Uh, when, you, when you notice a learn more is the primary uh, call to action on the page, the first question you want to ask is, does somebody arriving to this page have enough information to make a purchasing decision? And if they don't, then you shouldn't have those competing objectives off to the right asking them to add it to cart. 
Uh, if your primary action is to have them add it to cart, then you need to pro provide enough information to make that decision. Uh, in this case, they were coming from PPC. Therefore, we wanted to uh, make sure there was enough information to make a decision between the three products. Looking at the next slide, um, we, what we wanted to do with the first treatment is trim down uh, the number of decisions the user has to make on the page. So we went with a simple single column layout uh, to reduce friction. We added in uh, an intro paragraph to intro the product and really highlight what the, the key credibility indicators are with this product. Um, they had a great 60-day money-back guarantee that was not highlighted on the control. We wanted to take advantage of that. That also removes some of the anxiety that would be involved in making a purchasing decision. Uh, so we wanted to highlight that right on the product image. You can see that off to the left. Uh, to simplify the number of competing objectives, we went with a drop-down so that the user, uh, upon reaching the page, really only has to make one decision, and that's a decision on whether or not they want to make, uh, make a purchase. Looking at treatment two, uh, we wanted to make sure we were giving the user enough information to make a purchase. To do this, we went with a, a long copy, frequently asked questions section. Uh, in this section, we tried to answer all the questions that a user who was going to purchase this type of software uh, would need answered before choosing a call to action such as add to cart. Uh, we also, if you see off to the right-hand side, went with radio buttons to differentiate between the two products. This allowed us to elaborate on the differences between the two products without having to do it all on one single page. Moving to treatment three, uh, this is just another variation to provide more information uh, for somebody trying to make a purchasing decision without overwhelming them. What we did was we went with a, a tabbed layout. Uh, you see across the bottom we have the four tabs, uh, and we wanted to open with that 60-day money-back guarantee. Um, at the top, you'll notice there's only one call to action. That's for the primary product. Under that, there, uh, there's a small link. Uh, for somebody who needs something more specific, they can click this link, and it would take them to one of the other products. Uh, but we didn't want to muddy up um, the information we were providing about this particular product. Here's a couple of key points based on what Nathan has suggested. First of all, you'll notice the word says product image, that you're looking at a, a dummy version of the product. Uh, that's because we're protecting the brand. That's also the blurring that you're noticing at the top of the page. Clearly, where it says product image, we have an attractive image of the product, just to be clear. I would point out for you something very interesting. Treatment 3 is what we call a radical redesign. It's radically different than our other versions, and we do it deliberately to see if we've even started testing the right category. Too often we get anemic results because we're making incremental improvements to the wrong page to start with. We'd get greater results to try a completely different page and then determine if that whole new approach, i.e. long copy, or i.e. a tab version, or something altogether different, would uh, get us the most potential gains. Once we get there, we're able to refine. So in a classic design done by the scientist group here, you'll see that we had a control, treatment one, treatment two, long copy, and treatment three, uh, a tabbed version. This allowed us, because traffic was sufficient to test this many iterations, this allows us to quickly figure out which general approach is going to produce the highest yield. 
Once we've done that, we're able to start refining and driving results up uh, further. So stop for a second. This is a room full of marketing experts. I have two questions for you. Which one of these pages do you think will produce the highest yield? I want you to vote using your uh, question and answer feature. And as you vote, I also would like you to tell me, if you think it's anything besides the control, tell me by what percentage you think it will beat the control. So if you believe it's treatment two, tell me it's treatment two by X percent. I'm watching. Someone says number two, that's Mark. Number three says Timothy. Number two says Kevin. Number one says someone else. Three by 20%. Well, good. Treatment one by 25%, two by 25%, two by 25%, two by 100%. Someone said wonderful. I'm not sure what that means, but I assume that they like the test. <laughs> All right. Uh, treatment by one by 15%. Uh, two by 50%, and number one by 500%. I like your optimism, Dave. Uh, someone else said three did better by 75%, and I like the fact that they put it in the past tense as if they actually know the answer. There's some kind of uh, uh, nuanced sales message there. Um, so let's continue. Number three by 25%. Those are the kinds of responses that we're getting. I think you'll be surprised, uh, especially if you're used to the numbers that we often see here. We're going to move to the actual results of the experiment. And uh, Nathan, just explain what you see there. Sure. Uh, taking a look at the results, uh, you'll see that treatment one, the single column with the drop down, actually was the top performer. Uh, there was a relative difference of 12.97%. Uh, what was surprising from this test is the difference you see between that and the tapped layout, which provided a wealth of information. Um, the Frequently asked questions, treatment also uh, was outperformed, but did not do quite as badly as the tapped layout. Uh, but I think the, the big takeaway from this is that users arriving to this page um, felt they either had enough information to make a purchasing decision and did not need that additional information, or that the uh, placement of the 60-day money-back guarantee was highlighted enough to, to reduce any anxiety uh, the user had with downloading uh, the software. All right, so there's a number of things that we can learn from this, and candidly, it's really not about the findings of this test. It's about taking those findings and extending them into a whole new set of learnings, and that's why we're on this uh, call together, and I want to talk about that, but before I do, I would like to point this out. Most of the time when I see software presented, the favored version is the tab layout approach. We often see that on product categories. Be careful. Every time you require the user to take an additional step, to make an additional move in order to gain sufficient information, you lose a percentage of your audience. And in this case, the tab version did not perform at the level that uh, uh, we would hope it would. And I think many of us are leaking revenue with our current layouts, and you might want to keep that in your thinking. But as we go forward, here's the real question. Is a 13% or even a 24% increase the greatest value gain from this test? Is the real win the fact that we learned that a particular treatment outperforms the others and so we now we can go alive with that treatment and capture the revenue? Well, I mean, certainly it was worthwhile. Certainly it's productive. Certainly that 13% represents a lot of revenue for this organization. But it would be a mistake to settle only for that gain. So there's some principles that we need to understand. And the first is this. Though a test may improve a page's performance, its greatest gain often comes from what it teaches you about your visitors.
This is because the value of customer insights can extend far beyond a single test. Uh, I'm reminded of the same problem I see in the way marketers are using their metrics program. We measure with our metrics magnitude. We ask how much. We don't spend enough time in our metrics program asking why. Metrics should be used not simply to quantify the amount of something, but to help you understand why customers or prospects are behaving in a certain way. Marketers are in a hurry. We want to know how well did it perform. We want to know what happened. We want to know which page performed the best. We don't have time to ask why. And every time you fail to dig down deep enough, you sacrifice learnings about your customer that can help you design better pages, better campaigns, and get better results. So to assure the greatest long-term return on a research investment, you need to maximize the value of the insights from experimentation. And you need to become adept at test interpretation. We control all this internally with a document we call a test protocol. And we create a book of these every time we work with a research partner or a testing client because it allows us to codify everything we've learned and then use that information into the future. So what can we do? Well, at a basic level, proper test interpretation answers three questions. Number one, what does this test say about my visitors? Number two, where else could these insights apply? And number three, what do these results imply about what we should test uh, next? You can use those three questions, you can use them like a filter to cut through all of the noise associated with data analysis and come back with a sense of, okay, this is what else I can, I can glean from the investment I made in this particular experiment. So let's just stop for a second and hear from you. We have a poll prepared. And uh, you can use the poll device on the uh, GoToMeeting uh, applet that you have up on your screen. And the question is this. Which of these three questions is the most difficult for you in interpreting your own test? We're going to share with you what the audience is experiencing. So you vote for the toughest question here, the one that you have the hardest time answering. And we'll share with you, the audience, what's discovered. All right, continue. We're looking at those polls coming in. We're watching to, to reach validity. We have a large enough audience. By the way, 46% of you are voting, and you're still, it's still coming in. 50% have voted. We want, to, we want to get the largest percentage of the audience possible, and we want to make certain we hit a certain number that allows us to feel confident that the audience is being fairly represented. Our audiences are so large that often this information is uh, very, very germane because it's pretty difficult to gather this many marketers in one place focused around the issues that we often raise in our clinics. All right, so we're closing the poll out with a significant percentage of you voting. And uh, we're going to share with you on screen what we discovered. And that is this. By far and away, 45% of you say, what does this test say about my visitors? That's the toughest question. Where else might these insights apply is the third uh, most difficult question. And, of course, number two at 32%, what do these results imply we should test next? 
I think that's a fair answer, and I think it's a fair representation of what I hear with various audiences around the world as we conduct our research and uh, as we teach marketers. So let's deal with that first question and then move through the other two questions and try to gain insights that will help you go back tomorrow and get more out of your testing program. Here's the first question. What does this test say about my visitors? And as we think about that, you're looking to answer questions like those that you see posted in front of you right now. What motivates my customer? Where are they in the conversation? That's that mental conversation that occurs as they're interacting with my site. Remember, people don't buy from websites. People buy from people. There's an internal dialogue that begins when they interact with your website and they personify your website and give it a voice and hold a conversation. And you need to know where they are at in that conversation. What do my customers value most? Why would my customer choose me over any of my competitors? Or why would they choose a competitor over me? What causes them the most anxiety? Why are they falling off at uh, certain points? What is their response to various elements that I have on the page? These kinds of sub-questions help you glean insights. So, if this is all we tested with this particular group, what could we learn? What might these results imply about our visitors? Well, we might infer that because the call to actions message of add to cart performed well, it's possible that our visitors are motivated enough at this stage, at this very stage in the conversation to purchase. And if that's true, if that's true, we want to do everything we can to eliminate anything that gets in the way of the purchase. And we want to essentially, you might say, grease the process, minimizing friction and helping them move with increasing forward momentum into the, right towards the confirmation page. Uh, because the version with the one call to action outperformed the version with seven, we might conclude that our visitors find multiple offers difficult to process. And then we'd ask, where else in our site are we presenting them with the same level of confusion? We'd think about other places where there might be choke points in our funnel based on multiple options being presented. It might be that we have some place in our funnel where there's only two options presented or only three and we want to test there immediately to discover if the seven is the problem or just the very nature of presenting multiple options is the problem. I will tell you in most cases that presenting evenly weighted options, evenly weighted options, hurts your conversion rate. Thirdly, just from this first test, we might add that because this version featured a 60-day money-back guarantee and that this, this feature, this high-impact visual, outperformed the version without it, we might conclude that the visitors have some anxiety concerning the value of the product that was resolved with this particular presentation. Moreover, we might say that if there was any question in their mind about the purchase, that maybe they were mostly ready to purchase, but by offering the 60-day money-back guarantee, we reduced the anxiety or at least the hesitation factor and thus pushed them over into the funnel all the way, which indeed is uh, an indication that we might want to strip the page down with, 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 and remove from it anything that would get in the way of the conversion, all extra calls to action, any other navigation links that could interfere, any other messaging that could interfere, and simply get them into the cart, provide 
a restatement of the value, support of that value possibly with uh, third-party credibility indicators, emphasize the guarantee, and get them in and get them through the process. All of that can start to be discerned from one test with a reasonable result. Now, there's more, and there's a lot more we could say, but we want to actually get to live optimization. We want to look at your pages. We want to make test recommendations, and we want to learn some more together first, so let's continue. Can reliable insights, and this is a question that many of you should be having right now, actually be drawn from a test that compares multiple variables? Think about it. In all three versions of the uh, treatments, all three corrections to the control, we had multiple elements changed. You did not see the classic test design where we might have changed the headline or just changed the guarantee. And you'll even notice, properly so, that in my last two or three slides, I speculated about customer insights based on that test. I didn't pronounce. I didn't pontificate. Because there are things I still don't know. But I find that there is a way, and we have patents pending on our approaches to this, there is a way to glean enough insight to make better decisions and that being reasonably sure is more important than being absolutely sure because I can be reasonably sure about ten things rather than absolutely sure about one. And to help you understand how you can integrate that level of thinking into what you do, I'm asking uh, one of our oldest employees, uh, oldest and he's laughing, old in so many ways, uh, old because he's been with us a long time, old because today is his birthday. Happy birthday, Bob Kipper. Bob's our director of sciences, and if you could see him here, he's in a walker, and uh, <laughs> he, he's, uh, he's going to take out his dentures and if, uh, so he can talk, and uh, we have Geritol on the table in front of him to help him get through this difficult session. He's old, but he's very, very smart, and, uh, and so I'm going to ask Bob to uh, talk to us a little bit about the sciences involved. And then we're going to move to the next question. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, thank you, Flint, for that gracious introduction. <laughs> By the way, I, d I did notice uh, when I got my new business cards uh, this week yes. that my title had changed from director to senior director. I think there's some, some <laughs> it's subtle true. metaphor. It's true. He is senior director. <laughs> and you can use that to get a discount at Denny's, Bob. <laughs> I, I, I will point out in deference that Bob, uh, re despite his uh, antiquity, has a lot more hair than I do. And if... If you hear me making fun of it, it's because I'm slightly jealous, but go on, Bob. Okay, so um, can reliable insights be drawn from, from a test that compares uh, multiple variables, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of a variable cluster? Uh, first, a variable is, uh, is a, a categorical word um, that's, that's commonly used in two ways. Um, in general terms, it's simply something that you change. It's something that's uh, different among the treatments. Uh, in practice, though, uh, we speak of variables in the context of, of variable clusters. Uh, a variable cluster is a group of variables that's treated as a single variable for the purpose of answering a given research question. Um, you know, and uh, uh, in that context, uh, the word variable represents an extreme. Uh, it's the smallest possible change that can be made uh, to, um, to a testing element. For example, um, most of us would consider a, a button, a call to action button, to be a single variable. Um, but, but let's look at these two buttons uh, and, and see what's different about them. 
Um, we have a, a submit button, a small rectangular gray uh, submit button on the left, and, and a start your free trial button. And, and, and what's different about them? Well, uh, there are the, uh, the big five, um, as we say, that, that are um, you know, true of, of any um, treatment element, um, size, color, shape, motion, and position or placement. Um, and then because it's a text-oriented element, uh, we also have the, the button copy. Um, so, um, you know, could, could any or all of these potentially affect a, a visitor's perception and, and consequently their behavior? You know, you know, yeah. I, and, and I just want to jump in there, okay, because I think what Bob is saying is something profound. We fool ourselves, uh, and we take ourselves too serious in our tests sometimes. I think the point Bob is saying is that most of us who hold to the fact that we're testing a variable are actually follow. It's a myth. The variable that we think we isolated, i.e. the button, is still a cluster of elements. So the real question becomes, well, why not have a bigger cluster of elements? And that's uh, that's what Bob's going to talk about next. Thanks, but yeah, yeah, a button is is in fact a variable cluster, albeit a, a comparatively small one compared to the ones that that we've seen in the in the tests that we just looked at. Um, so. Uh, you know, so how do I use this concept uh, to, to guide my testing? Um, you know, well, uh, as a general testing principle, um, for you know, for a given test, uh, you'll seek the largest possible variable cluster that the test's research question will permit. Uh, it's something that, that we teach in uh, in the fundamentals of, of testing uh, course. Uh, you know, the uh, the reason for this is that um, testing multiple variables is is more likely to increase the size of um, a result variation. Um, where testing individual variables or, or smaller variable clusters is more likely uh, to increase the precision of the test. So bigger change equals uh, bigger impact uh, in terms of, of conversion or the things that, that uh, you're trying to measure, your primary uh, variable. Uh, smaller change um, translates to, to a smaller impact. So. Um, you know, what, why would that be true? Um, well, uh, testing larger variable clusters uh, requires, uh, in order to get a given level of perceived difference, uh, requires fewer treatments, which in turn reduces the test duration and uh, can substantially boost um, the, uh, the return on your investment in, uh, in time and energy. Um, but from a, uh, from a practical or, or methodological perspective, um, you know, a research hypothesis, which in turn uh, drives um, research question uh, and informs treatment design, is expressed in terms of, of a theme. Um, things like, like friction. You know, will, uh, will this page layout, um, you know, result in, uh, in friction, uh, you know, rather than a specific variable. So solutions uh, involve theme level treatment differences. Um, so consequently, as, as a principle uh, of optimization, uh, uh, testing strategy, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll begin with large variable clusters to answer categorical research questions um, like, um, you know, which will work better, long copy versus short copy or, or letter style versus uh, an e-commerce style. Um, you know, then um, we'll progress down to smaller variable clusters to get, uh, you know, deeper and more precise understanding um, of my visitors and my ideal uh, customers' attributes and, and motivations. So, um, you know, as a, as a part of a sound optimization strategy, uh, the value of smaller uh, cluster tests 
um, is realized in, uh, in cumulative insights uh, gained across uh, multiple focus tests. Um, and it's often combined with analysis of other data sources uh, like customer CRM uh, database, um, you know, uh, operational data and such. And, and really that's where um, uh, opportunities for, for real breakthrough discoveries uh, Absolutely. often lies. And we've got to move on, uh, but Bob is the classic scientist and could talk about this all day. And if you have further questions about this radical approach in our laboratory, I'd be happy to send you Bob's home phone number, and you can just call him. And I guarantee you, once he starts, for four or five hours, he, he can have an extended conversation about variable clusters, and his wife might not be appreciated, but we just want to help you any way we can. So call Bob. Ask Bob. I, 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 I will tell you this. Uh, this is a big point that Bob's making. It's very critical. And candidly, if you ever study the history of science, I'm a philosopher and I've studied philosophy of science, most of the breakthroughs occurred because of large uh, challenges to hypothesis that included many, many sub-variables. But let's keep going. All right, so where else could we imply these insights? What am I looking at right now? Well, other than the fact that I see a potato with a clock and that our graphics artists, particularly Austin, saw that this was a creative illustration of where else these tests might imply, and I have no idea what the graphic means whatsoever. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and Austin is over here looking completely nonplussed, like he's going to walk out, go to his trailer, and never return. We're really trying to cover the second question, and that is where would these insights apply in my, in my work? And so because of that, I want to take you right to an experiment. And uh, we have seen a part of this experiment in the past, but we have not seen the rest of it. And it, by the way, it has absolutely nothing to do with potatoes, just in case you're wondering. This was a, uh, an Indian market solution for small and medium-sized businesses. The goal was to increase the number of leads. Many of you on this call probably are in B2B and you want to increase your leads. And I just want to cut to the chase and show you what happened. Here was the original. You've seen it before in a test. We increased conversion by 201%. In case you're questioning that, it means 201% more leads off the same marketing spend. Our next test was no doubt conducted by Austin, the potato artist, and it yielded a 2% increase <laughs> in conversion. And uh, we went from that to another test that yielded a 29% increase in conversion, at which point we could have stopped there and been very excited with this compounding effect because that is a 2% over 201% and that's 29% on top of the 2 on top of the 201 and that really adds up when it comes to getting quality leads to your sales group. But we did not. I talked to you about gleaning more benefit from your current test and that's precisely what we did. And so, you know, not as a matter of opinion, not simply because we think this is a good idea, but as a, as a finding from so many experiments, let me show you what we discovered. We discovered by taking the same insights and applying them to the other parts of the process, we could see other gains. Look at the slide. Uh, our title was how to double, you know, the impact, the learnings, the value of your testing. But look at what happened in this particular experiment. The next test on a different part of the site yielded a 451% increase. Another one was 302%. Another one was 603%. Another one was 28%. Another one was 257%. The impact was so significant that the marketer was approached by the CFO of the company saying, what is happening? And what happened was a very smart marketer 
worked with our research group. This was a research project that we did together. You can find out about those on our website. Uh, worked with our team and did the courageous step of implementing a rigorous testing program and did more than get a game. They discovered something important about their prospects and customers and they applied the learning throughout the site. So that's the second question and there's an example of it in action. I am moving rapidly towards live optimization and moving on. You can take these insights and split them into two distinct categories. Context-specific insights and meta-theoretical insights. By the way, if you've been on other clinics and they were easy, I apologize. This one is a little bit harder. Uh, what is a context-specific insight? It's insights that are applicable specifically to potatoes. And <laughs> awesome. insights that are applicable to scenarios similar to identifiable ways uh, to, to, to the test environment. These are, these are insights that you can translate into similar context. Meta-theoretical insights help you get a deeper understanding of the whole psychology, the whole cognitive process that is informing your test strategy. Learning more about how people think and buy and interact with your value. Those kinds of insights uh, have deep, long-term impact. And frankly, it's what's been driving us here. We conduct experiments. We learn something more valuable. We refine our theory of human nature that informs our whole testing strategy. And you just see it in a, an improved heuristic, an improved sequence. Or you see it in test results like those that we're showing you. This is extending our learnings beyond our environment into yours. And uh, that's the principle in action on a macro level. So let's go to the final question, and that uh, uh, will come for us as I just quickly move through these two slides. Here's context-specific. Here's meta-theoretical. And if you can't read the slide, it's because I'm moving too fast. If I'm moving too fast, it's because I'm getting out of time. And I want to get you to live optimization. And so I go to the third question. I cannot even comment on this graphic. I have not seen this graphic until just now. I think that is a pirate on our page. What, what do these results imply we should test next? Now, you know, we're a science lab. I have no idea what pirates have to do with a science lab. But I'll guarantee you that they will never take us serious at Stanford anymore, Austin. Thank you very much. On to, on to the key principles. Future tests will be directly dependent upon the degree of precision with which you can identify the elements that generate the greatest favorable variation. What does that mean? It's just the stuff that worked before will help you in the future if you use it again. And then in most cases, testing should progress from variable clusters, that's those large categorical tests, towards single variable experiments or smaller clusters where you can get more precision and actually learn a lot about the headline, learn a lot about the shape of the button or other pieces that could be important to the future of your marketing. So there's a cycle. Uh, at, the, at the beginning, you're doing radical redesigns. Then you're focusing tighter and tighter as this arrow points to try and get deeper learnings. An example is at the bottom of the page that we saw. After learning that this particular page design was the winner, what about those three offers at the bottom or those three various uh, calls to action, learn more, learn more, learn more? Uh, we can refine the page now and test various elements on the page to get greater results. And so just before live optimization, I'm going to take you through one more data set, one more iteration of this pervasive experiment. 
Nathan is going to help us in this. Before I uh, turn it over to Nathan, uh, I would like to point out for you that we're showing you a lot of data. We're going back to experiments repeatedly. And it's because at Marketing Experiments, we don't want to be simply consultants or advisors. We want to, we want to basically ground what we're saying to you in our own experiments. And what we're doing is getting metatheorical insights from our own testing and communicating them to you right now. And so, uh, Nathan, show them what happened next here. Sure. This is actually the follow-up test to um, the test we introduced earlier. Um, taking a look at this page, we took the winning treatment from that last test, and that is now the new control. Uh, and what we want to do is take those learn more links at the bottom. Now that we know that many users are ready to make a decision, we wanted to, to make some changes down at the bottom of the page uh, to make that space more useful to help drive up revenue. So one of the designs uh, we, we put into play is we wanted to help differentiate between the multiple product offerings. Right now, there's a drop-down, uh, but there's no place to really explain what the difference between the products really is. So what we wanted to do is uh, bring those out of the drop-down uh, and introduce additional products at the bottom of the page. Uh, and then you'll see under each product offering, We've had a little bit of uh, text added to help differentiate what the other product offerings. The thought behind this is that if somebody at this point is motivated enough by that 60-day money-back guarantee to make a purchasing decision, why not capitalize on the space at the bottom of the page to showcase the additional products that are being offered as opposed to just hiding them in the drop-down? Looking at this next design, we took a, a completely different spin on the bottom, uh, bottom space. What we've done is we've incorporated uh, a section where you can actually ask your friends what they think about the product. Um, the way this is currently set up is uh, there's a list of questions the user can ask all related to the um, quality of the product. Uh, the user selects a question. This helps us control the messaging. Uh, and then they select a social network that they want to post the question to. Uh, currently, uh, you'll see there's Facebook and Twitter up there. We've also uh, actually added an email share through email link as well. When the user shares this link, um, it, the question is posted to their friends uh, with a link back to this page. Uh, what we want to track with this test is actually whether people coming back uh, to this page convert from social media channels. Excellent. So. So this is the test, and I think it's an intriguing test. Many of you are trying to figure out how to integrate social media into your offerings. So we're looking not only at a, a different utilization of that particular panel on the page, but we're also looking at a radical way to integrate social media into the offering. And uh, I think the outcome of this test is particularly interesting, particularly interesting to me. Uh, what I'd like to do is ask you to vote again. And there's a reason for that. And I'm going to tell you right now, and you probably won't like the reason. The reason is because this test is underway as I speak. It is running right now, or it's about to run. It's been planned, and we're executing. And I want you to predict which one of these pages you think will do best, the control, treatment one, or treatment two. The poll is open, and we will, we will share the results with you on subsequent clinics or on our blog. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll let you learn even as we learn. There's a lot happening here in real time. At any given day, there's all kinds of experiments and tests being set up, uh, operated, uh, or, or summarized and studied. 
and uh, we'll fill you in on this one as, uh, as the data comes in. So let's see how we're doing on this poll. We are at 60% voted. We need some more votes. Tell us which one. Tell us which one. And as soon as we hit uh, a high enough level here, we're going to close the poll and go to live optimization. We have the control treatment one and we have treatment two. What you're looking at is the three versions. And what we want to do now is uh, move to a summary, but remind you that we'd like to come back and talk about what we discovered once that test is done. Here is the summary of the content that we've been learning so far. And by the way, uh, you know, you can use Twitter to tell us what you think. Twitter, I think it's hashtag WebClinic that will allow you to communicate all about this clinic, insights from it, and particularly what you think is going to happen with this test. We'll be watching Twitter very closely to get your feedback. So uh, these are the three critical questions that you should be applying as follow-up for the sake of interpretation. What does this test say about my visitors? Where else might these insights apply? And what do these results imply that we should test next? So uh, that's a critical piece, and uh, we'll talk more and more about that in the future. And uh, I hope to see many of you at the B2B Marketing Sherpa Summit in Boston coming up this uh, Monday and Tuesday. And uh, I'd like to shift now to live optimization. So here you have the test strategy recommendation session, official name, and finally a graphic that makes sense. The only problem is there's nobody at the table. And uh, I wonder if that's a metaphor for what we have right now. But on we go to the first page, and this is Goodson.com. And uh, Janet submitted this page. The goal of this page is to move visitors to the online store and or to get them to give us their email address. The channel is uh, essentially organic and some direct sources. And uh, the profile of the customer is professional and do-it-yourself engine builders. And um, so uh, we're going to look at the page. And Janet said, and I, I think it's worth quoting, she says, I'm excited but also a little nervous to hear what others think of the page. Now, I'll tell you what we'll do. Time is out, but I'm going to give the page, I want to get three minutes of feedback from you before we talk about a testing strategy. Quickly tell us in the audience, using your Q&A feature, how you would improve this page. Uh, Janet, somebody said the green is ugly and distracting. Uh, that was Bart, in case you want to get even with him. Too many choices, Dave. Remove navigation, someone says. Delete the light green. The images are too small. Highlight the best sellers. The call to action is difficult to find. Uh, engine builders should be more prominent. There are too many choices on the page and too much text. All right, as you're thinking about those designs, let's move forward and let's look at the testing history of this page. Uh, you can see the current version and a test design of this version. And I want to know, uh, I'm going to ask my staff, has that design been tested already? Currently. It's currently testing right now. So you'll see there's a new version of the page being tested. And you might want to consider your, uh, your criticisms of the earlier page by looking at the new page. And it will be very interesting to see if this page outperforms the other page. It does have some improvements. Uh, and it, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see some gains. Now, we haven't designed this. They're submitting this page. Right now, they're equal, and I don't know what that means until I see the whole curve. Uh, but uh, at present, they're performing about equal. You may have a case here where you have a redesign, but it's not a radical redesign. And that could be a, a serious issue with getting a significant differential. And so we're going to go to this page. There's the original. 
and we're going to make some test recommendations. And uh, I'm going to ask Nathan to give us some feedback on what you might recommend for a way to test, both create a treatment and test this page. Sure. Um, first, I, I'd start with uh, just kind of stepping back and looking at the, the test that's running uh, with the two treatments. Uh, there's not a whole lot of difference in, in the amount of content that's being presented. Right now, it's going to be difficult to uh, understand what the hot buttons are for the user, what would make them want to get more information. Uh, right now, you seem to be offering quite a bit of information all at once. Uh, so slimming the amount of information you are showing and then breaking it out into sections that you can track. Right now, without seeing the analytics of where people are going from this page, it's difficult to say whether they have enough information to want to give you the email address. Um, other things that stand out are, is it really the visibility of the, um, of the call to action? Right now you have it on the left-hand side. Uh, I would want to know where the best position is for that call to action. Is it at the bottom? Is it uh, in the right-hand side? So making sure you test that. Uh, but overall, I would say the primary test design feature I, I would look to do is, uh, are you giving them the right information? And are you giving them enough information to want to sign up? So making sure when you design your test that one version displays a lot less information than the other with some form of learn more, while the other page displays most of that information. Now, we, we have seven minutes left. And if you'll stay with us, I'm going to pack these seven minutes with as much information as possible. I have thoughts about this page. Bob, I might save you for the next page just because of our time. Make a comment and move on. Are you ready for that next page also? Bob's from our Director of Sciences. All right, well, give us some quick feedback on this page, Bob, and then I'll, and then I'll make a quick summary. Go ahead. Okay. Um, the, uh, uh, I think I would test um, making the uh, um, uh, already know uh, that, that uh, button in the upper uh, left corner. Uh, notice that um, uh, already know what you want. Um, I went to the live page, and um, uh, only the, the small link, uh, you know, click order form, is, uh, is live. Um, doesn't look like a link, so I, I think I would test um, making that link look like a link and then also test making that entire area, since, uh, since the only live area is, is that text link, making the entire um, upper left corner uh, uh, button live. Um, uh, I would test uh, putting an, an item search directly on the home page um, because, um, you know, after, after looking at some of the, um, the, the, the detail on um, some of the testing background, I see that um, the two pages were performing roughly equivalently where the, uh, the index page is 67% conversion from, uh, from the page and, uh, and the, uh, so the control is 67% and um, the treatment is 66.6%, so essentially uh, roughly equivalent. Um, important uh, thing to notice there is 67% uh, conversion to sale from, uh, from this uh, landing page is, uh, is quite high. So you've got a highly qualified uh, and, and motivated set of visitors arriving at the page. So I concentrate um, in terms of testing strategy on reducing friction, basically getting out of the way of the people who are here um, and, uh, and helping them to get to, you, you said the, the focus was either a newsletter sign up or, or a sale. So I would, um, you know, I'd focus on um, 
you know, bifurcating, the, uh, uh, you know, splitting them into those two categories and just basically getting out of the way. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, let me continue uh, uh, rapidly and just design a test. I'm going to do this very fast. I'm actually standing up from, from my screen and moving to a large screen on our wall so I can see it in, and uh, speak to it as if uh, you were in the room with me right now, the audience. And it helps me to, to see a larger version of the page. I don't think uh, that we're testing the right page. I think the whole page needs to be uh, tested with a categorical redesign. I would, in the beginning of the test, wouldn't try the email and the store. I'd get one right, and then I'd add the email and test that piece separately. If you test both, you're going to mitigate attention. Let's focus on getting as many people to the store as possible. And this is just a test. You know, three days a week, add the email back and test that piece. I would test a brand new headline that talked about the product selection. I would emphasize my value proposition. And I would remember that if we're trying to get them into the store, then really what we're selling here is a click. There's nothing on this page they're buying unless they're going down to a product selection at the bottom. And I'd be very careful about that product selection. We've got to drive them into the store so we're selling a click. So you have to give them a really strong reason to click and a really clear path to click into the store to get something. To do that, uh, I would meet them with a piece of text that tells them how large the store is, what you have there to help them, and the fastest way to find what they're looking for. That kind of text. Strong headline, strong subheadline, and a great button that says something like, find what you need now, or, or, or get you know, instant access to our store, or save on your future. You know, something really clear that implied a benefit when they clicked on the button, and then I'd drive them into the, a powerful page. I would test that design against something radically different, something right now that might surprise the users on the phone. But I've done it before with great success. I turn the home page into an index. Like it, it's got categories, features broken out all over the whole page with sections. It's like the store. You go to the store. When you hit the page, you can click on proper categories. There's featured products, and it feels like you're in the store already. You basically save yourself the interim click get them in front of the right selection. They don't have to click to get to the store. They simply have to check the product category they're interested in or search. You know, one of the best ways to do that is say there are three ways to shop at Goodson.com. You can shop by search, you can search by product category, or you can shop by brand. I'm just making that up. Then give them the three ways to do it. I fear that we are out of time. We have another page submitted by uh, David Weekly Homes. And I'd like to recommend a test strategy for that page, but time is running away from us. This is the page that you'll see they began with, and this new page got a 15% increase, and rightly so. Uh, it certainly has less friction, and it's been personalized, and it is much better than the original page. The question is, how could we improve it further? What should we test next? Here's what I'm going to recommend we do in closing. I'm going to recommend that you take just a moment with your Q&A feature to tell us how you would improve this particular page. I'm going to actually go to uh, another slide and let you see the page up close. And there on this slide, make your recommendations for us. And then here's what we'll do. Since we don't have time to recommend a test strategy now, we'll incorporate the audience's feedback with the feedback of one of our analysts, and we'll post the findings on our blog from the audience. Is that The editor of the blog is in here, Daniel. Is that good? We'll put it right on the blog with our test recommendations and a test strategy, and you can go to the blog, read about those changes, 
and uh, that we that we are recommending the test that we design. Use it as a visual example of what we've been teaching all day long. And then if they want to work with us, uh, we'll overlook that test and and make certain it's designed right and report to you what happened. I'd like to invite my audience to create the treatment. And then we might have our analysts make a few comments on their version, and then let's test it. Let's absolutely test it. And we'll tell you what happened. So we'll end our clinic with that today. I want to thank you for attending. If this is helpful, please invite a friend. Uh, we continue to produce these clinics. They do not cost uh, the attendees any money. Uh, instead, we ask that you help build this community of marketers who are keenly interested on discovering what really works. If you have questions about... Uh, uh, how you can get help with your work. Uh, we have both training and we have the opportunity to help you conduct your tests with our research partnerships. Click on any one of those links or type them in to get to uh, more information that will help you. Thank you again for your trust and we'll be back again with new findings in about two weeks. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.